Well, it's a blessing to have each of you with us this morning as we uh, dig into God's Word, as we worship. And uh, again, I hate that so many people ended up sick this past week, but I hope everybody's at least feeling a little bit better as we uh, dig in today. So um, this past Wednesday afternoon, tragedy struck at a high school in Florida where 17 people were killed in a senseless act of violence. That morning, parents sent their children to school, not really concerned about whether or not their kids would return home that evening, but students and teachers alike did not return home. It's the broken world in which we live. And perhaps the most heartbreaking part of this is that it no longer shocks us when these things happen, because these things do seem to happen quite often. It has become so commonplace that we almost expect it, just not at our school. We, I was watching some of the interviews with some of the parents, and uh, many of them were talking about they had heard of these things, but it was different because this was in their school. Even those parents whose children came home, all of a sudden it became very real for them. But we hear it on the news, and we are certainly saddened by it, but we know that it wasn't the first time that it happened, and it probably won't be the last time that it happens. It's the broken world in which we live. How do we reach this point? I could point to many of the pet issues that uh, the Christian church often will identify as places where we've gone wrong, things like the removal of prayer from school, but truthfully, it's so much more than that. I don't care whether you're Republican or you're Democrat, whether you like the president or vice president or not, it's not the purpose of this message, but a conversation took place on a national talk show this week regarding the extreme beliefs of the vice president of the United States. Apparently, he prays to Jesus and expects Jesus to speak back to him. There was one voice who objected to the mere practice of talking to Jesus, referring to such behavior as a sign of mental illness. Another, claiming to be a Christian also, was more gracious. To her, it wasn't a problem that the vice president talked to Jesus. The problem was that he actually expected God to speak back to him. Let me just say that within this one conversation, we see how we have reached this point. It's the broken world in which we live. God has been relegated to a figurehead position, a ritualistic image that is no longer relevant to those who follow Christ. He is no longer seen as the living God who created all things and is involved in all things and is over all things. To the watching world, he is no longer the hope that we all so desperately need. Know today that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is just as relevant as he ever has been. And he still is the only hope for redemption for our broken world. In that aspect, nothing has changed. If nothing else, seeing such brokenness simply serves as a reminder to us that we must be about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the only hope that our world truly will ever find. We must be bringing it to them. In a manner, we must become God's tool to normalize Christian living. Praying to God isn't an extreme thing or a mental illness. 
It is the most logical, normal thing any of us can do. Romans 10 reveals to us the hope which is given in Jesus Christ. Richard read the entire passage. Let me read just a few verses just to get us started. Look at it with me in verses 9 through 13 of Romans chapter 10. This is God's gift to humanity. And it says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are several things within these verses that should speak to us. The first is a declaration that Jesus is Lord. The term Lord suggests one who is master over another, having power or authority or influence over another individual. This tells me that when I see Jesus in his rightful place, he is truly relevant. He has power and authority and influence over my life. He is my creator, but he's more than that. He's more than my savior. He is my Lord. What happens when the world around us seems to fall apart? We sang, it is well this morning, and we talk about the fact that it is well with our soul, but is it truly well with your soul when the world seems to fall apart? And my response is, it should be. Because the same God who is in control on those really good days when everything seems to be working just as you want it to work, that same God is still in control on those really bad days. It doesn't change because of our current circumstance. He is still the God of heaven and earth and he ought to still be our Lord and Master. Leads me to the second part of this verse though says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then listen to this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a call for us to believe. We live in a world that seems to believe less and less regarding the reality of God. Well, part of the problem is that often within the church, we believe less and less in the reality of God. Don't get me wrong, we still believe in John 3, 16, which obviously says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the term belief has been diminished to something that we only do intellectually. We believe because we have this head knowledge and we can tell you facts about what Christ did but it no longer impacts who we are. The truth is that when you truly believe in Jesus as the sacrificial Son of God, it ought to do more than affect you intellectually. It ought to change the way you look at God. It ought to change the way you look at life, the way you act in life. It ought to change everything about you. Then seeing Jesus as Lord, the master, having influence and authority over your life and embracing him as the one who paid the price for you, who sacrificially allowed his life to be taken for us. 
then we get to know the great gift. Here's the interesting thing. It's more than just knowing the great gift. We get the opportunity to know the great giver as well. I remember as a kid, um, we had a, a TV in our living room that um, we had three channels on it. And obviously, it's always exciting when you look back at the old days and think of how little availability there was. But even with an old TV that wasn't old at the time, um, you could still play video games. And I can remember one Christmas morning, there was a package that was under the tree. And when we unwrapped that present, it was for all of us, me, my brother, and my sister. When we unwrapped that present, it was the Atari 2600. I don't know if you guys remember what that was, but it was as old-fashioned of a game as you could ever find. They had cartridges you would put in, and if they weren't working right, you had to take it out and blow inside of it and then put it back in, and the graphics were terrible. But I'm telling you, when we saw that game in the box, there was a sense of excitement. And the reason was because it wasn't enough that I received the gift, I wanted to experience the gift. I wanted to be able to know everything that you could do with it. I wanted to be able to play as many games as possible. I think the only game we probably had on it was, I know you had Pong, and then we had a Pac-Man game. I'm telling you, I could play that Pac-Man game for hours, and I would because it wasn't enough to say that we had the gift. Now that we had the gift, I wanted to experience it and know the gift. In the same way, We have a gift that God has given to us, and it is the gift of salvation. And it's not enough for us to just know that we have it. Now we need to become intimately familiar with it. It is the gift that comes to us specifically because of how much God loves us. The passage in Romans says that we will be saved. The passage in John chapter 3 verse 16 says that we will receive everlasting life. That is the gift that God has given to us. But is it more than something that you put on your mantle? Is it something that is a part of your daily life? The point is that we are saved from the power of sin and death. Even in this life, there is victory to those who would accept Christ as Lord not just as Savior, but as Lord, and genuinely believe in Him. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus declares, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. In other words, it's not enough for you to still be enslaved by the sin that once enslaved you. It's not enough for you to say, well, I'm saved, even though I still feel trapped and defeated and feel like there's no hope in this life. There is hope in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how difficult the path has been. As Jesus Christ has given you life, he intends for you to have life to the full. The point is that God's gift is great. And there has never been a time where our world more desperately needed his gift. We are broken with no hope of being fixed aside from rediscovering true faith in Jesus Christ. Certainly, this message is relevant to our society. I would even say to the church today as well. As the passage continues, we see that we have a role in bringing this good news to those who are broken around us. In verse 14, Paul poses a question. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, we are all God's messengers. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. The idea behind this simple question is that Jesus ought to be more than just something we have, but also something we share. If Jesus is truly the only hope of our world, if Jesus is the cure for our brokenness, then somebody has to tell the waiting world. We cannot sit back in silence. On the screen behind me, I'm going to have some pictures that will be up here. I want you to see some of the faces of our children, some of those who are involved in the ministry of this church. Imagine for a moment that one of these individuals, you can pick whichever one you want, one of these individuals is desperately in need of a physical cure to some horrible disease. Without that cure, this particular child would die. I wonder... If you had the cure, would you keep it to yourself or would you offer it to them? Would you pick one of those children? Let's do it a different way. Which one would you not give the cure to? You see, every single one of them is an incredible gift from God. He has blessed us with them. And we have the privilege of bringing them healing. It just makes sense. We're going to bring that healing. I'm going to tell you the same thing is true from a spiritual sense. Imagine the people in your life right now who do not know Jesus Christ. Do you know that without Jesus Christ, there is only one destination? It is hell. Will you withhold the gift of salvation from the people that you love and care about? Is this something that you can stay quiet with or is this something that actually you want to do something about? Here's another way to look at it. I want you to watch a brief video entitled Missing the Boat. If you can't read that sign, it says, danger, pull out canoes here, waterfall ahead. Can you imagine seeing someone that you knew they were destined for death, and you had the opportunity to offer them a rescue, yet you chose to remain silent? For many of us, we have done exactly that, specifically as we have allowed ourselves to remain silent as we see a watching world that is desperately in need of salvation that only Christ can offer. 
Matthew 22 records one of Jesus' parables about God sending messengers. In this case, he uses a wealthy king who longs to throw a large banquet. But as he sends out messengers, they are rejected, they are beaten, and even killed. Now, I know what you're thinking. This doesn't sound very motivational for sharing our faith with others. They were beaten, rejected, even killed. Being completely honest with you, I've had more people who have rejected the message of the gospel than I have those who have embraced it. I would love to tell you that if you go and you tell the broken world around us that Jesus Christ is the only hope, that every one of them will respond and say, oh, that's wonderful. Tell me how I can receive this beautiful gift. It doesn't work that way. But what I will tell you is this, it is worth the asking. That passage goes on, and as it goes on, I'm just going to pick up a few verses, verses 8 through 10. Basically, what happens is God, the king in this case, sends out other people to invite. It says in verse 8 of Matthew 22, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. I'm going to tell you, that is a beautiful image. You see, the servants who go out to bring this message would have already known what happened to the first servants. They knew that servants had gone out to invite people, and instead of people saying, yeah, I'm going to come, what happened was they were beaten, they were rejected, and even killed. Do you want to be the next guy to go out? Probably not. But these servants go out anyways, and their reason is because they love the king so much, and they know that this invitation that is being offered to the people around them is an incredible gift. And the last thing they would ever want to do is to either disappoint the king or to keep the people that they love from being able to receive this gift. We have a great privilege, and it is for us to be able to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. Maybe today you bring this message of hope to others because of the brokenness that you see. I started with some points of brokenness in our society I shared about the shooting down in Florida, the rejection of this, uh, the, the idea that Christ would actually answer our prayers. Um, and we live in a really broken world. And maybe for you, you feel led because you see the brokenness and you can't be content with it. Maybe it's simply because you love the king too much to stay silent. Honestly, I don't really care why you do it. I just know that God has called us to do it. I know that not all of us are gifted in the same manner. There are those people who are so natural at talking with other people, and then there are those that would rather live completely separate from the rest of society. And then there are all those other people somewhere in between. Let me make clear, we are all called to share the good news regardless of who we are, but we do it in different ways. One way that we help to share the good news is by serving as God's resources to help send others. By the way, that's not an either-or type of thing. Instead, it's one of the many ways that we ought to serve and we ought to bring this message. Listen to the words of Paul, still in our same passage there in Romans 10, 15. He says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those 
who bring good news. Obviously, I am one who is enabled by your faithful generosity to share the good news with others. Uh, this week was a great example of it. I'm not going to give you a name, but I had a, uh, an individual who came to me on Tuesday night, and um, I was actually uh, I was at basketball, and there were a group of us that uh, we were just kind of hanging out and talking, and it was early, and normally I'll stay until we're done, but... I had sick people at home, so I just I said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. And they were about to start another game. And one of the guys, he stops the, the game. He says, hold on a second, I, I wanted to talk to you about something. And he had some spiritual questions that he wanted to ask about what it is to be a child of God and basically things related to that relationship with God, uh, the, the battle that goes on between uh, spiritual forces, between good and evil. And there were all these questions, and there's a game that's waiting to get started. Well, you know what? I got to stop and just talk with this individual. All the guys who were on the court went over and sat down and waited patiently because they realized this was something that was very valuable and, and needed. Do you know that in many ways you are the ones who created that opportunity? You say, well, I don't come to basketball, so that's completely out of my realm. No, your faithful generosity opens up the door for that. I am grateful for the opportunities that I get to preach because those send me, those individuals financially support. I'm not the only one, though. Through your giving, missionaries are being supported as they bring hope to places all across the world. New churches are being started in other parts of our state, and young people are being prepared to serve the next generation of pastors and teachers. Through your generosity, you become God's resources to bring the good news to this broken world. A great example of this is seen in the upcoming mission trip to Haiti. On August 3rd, we will head out with a team of people from this church where we will become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Not everyone from this church will physically be able to go. But every person who financially supports and who prays for this trip becomes God's instrument to a broken world. You may have a different role than those who are physically on the ground in Haiti, but you will still be a part of serving because you enable others to go and to do the work that God has called you to do. Consider Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's bragging on the Macedonian churches simply because of the sacrificial way that they gave to support the ministry. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There are two aspects of this commendation. The first is they had every experience excuse not to give. It actually notes in here that they were in the midst of a very extreme, very severe trial. If anything, they were distracted. If anything, they were overwhelmed with their own needs. Yet here they were and they responded with generosity. I was talking with someone this morning and they brought it up not knowing that this was what my message is going to be on today. But there was a generation that understood very easily and very clearly that generosity is not something that is only limited to times when everything is good in our lives. Many of those in that generation are dying off. Will the church continue to move forward with the generosity of God's people 
And I know we hate when the pastor talks about money and generosity and all that stuff, but you know what? Sometimes it's necessary. And by the way, the finances are actually in a pretty good place for the church, so it's not that this message is coming out of desperation or the treasurer came to me and said, hey, pastor, I need you to tell them about money. The reality is God's word calls us to be generous. And here Paul celebrates the Macedonian churches because they have been generous. Because these were people who they had every excuse not to give, but they would not be content not giving. I've heard pastors who have misinterpreted this passage. They've almost suggested that giving to God is a get-rich scheme. And I'm not telling you that you're going to be a millionaire if you choose to give generously to the work of Christ. Although if it happens, we will all celebrate. But I will say that God is faithful and he will continue to provide for you. When things get tough, it's easy for us not to give. But I'm going to tell you, we cannot afford not to continue in generosity. I do believe that at times we have robbed ourselves simply because we have looked at our current trial and decided that we can't afford to be generous, when in reality we can't afford not to be generous. You know, in that passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul is bragging on the Macedonian churches. One of the Macedonian churches was the church at Philippi. In Philippians 4, verse 10 to 18, we see him expressing his appreciation for their generosity. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know, there's an interesting blend of messages within this single passage. On the one hand, thanks for your response to a specific need. This is the Apostle Paul sharing with them, you have been a blessing. Then know that God has taught me to be content no matter what. If I have a lot, I will be content. If I have nothing, I will be content. In other words, God has always taken care of me, whether you chose to give or not. But then there's also a reminder that God will also take care of you. In fact, Paul wants to make sure that their generosity is credited toward their eternal account. He says, it's not that I need more, but I want you to be credited with more. It would seem that there is always more work to be done. 
and therefore you are still called to be generous. Let me first say to you this morning, thank you as a church for your generosity. This is a great church that gives very generously, enabling all of the ministry that takes place here on a regular basis. Thank you for your faithfulness. Every time an individual gives their heart to Christ, every time a marriage is brought back together, every time our people or our facility is used to make a difference in this community, every time our missionaries go out to share the good news of Christ, your generosity is what helps to make that happen. I cannot say thank you enough for that. I want you to know that God has taught us to be good stewards. There are times where the money seems to just flow, and you celebrate when those days happen. There are times when it gets really tight, and you know what? We are called to be good stewards regardless of which situation we're in. We are taught to be content and to know that God will continue to provide regardless of how much money is sitting in the bank account today or how much is not sitting in the bank account. We believe that God will continue to provide for this ministry as long as we continue to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. But know that this ministry is much stronger because of what you do. Again, we're content and we know that God will provide, but know that this ministry still needs you. Know also that a large part of why I encourage your generosity is because I believe firmly that God will bless your generosity. I've heard the phrase that you can't outgive God. And I believe that statement to be true. You know, we live in a broken world, but all is not lost. We have a God who is able to redeem it. The question is how he's going to do it. I was reading this week a story about uh, Camp Sumter. Uh, some of us would be familiar with it just because we're from uh, this particular area. But Camp Sumter was a Confederate prisoner of war camp, originally designed to hold only 10,000 men. However, it was eventually used for more than 30,000 men at one time. The stream running through the middle of the camp was the only water source, and it was used for everything from bathing to laundry to drinking. Plus, the latrines were only three feet away. Dysentery became rampant. In August of 1864, though, a heavy rainstorm washed away much of the camp's waste. Lightning struck, and a spring of pure water bubbled up from within the camp. The prisoners called it Providence Spring. Would it be so hard to believe that God could use a storm at Camp Sumter to provide water and save the lives of these many prisoners? The reality is that if God could use a storm to save a group of prisoners, certainly God could use ordinary individuals like you and me to be his tool to bring salvation to a world that desperately needs it. The story is told. It's one that we're all familiar with. It actually comes from the Gospel of Mark and, again, in the Gospel of Matthew. We're told that there is 
a great event that takes place. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, and as he preached, the people came. Crowds of people came. We're all familiar with the events that would occur that day as more than 5,000 people would be fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. In that particular occasion, the people respond. They are so impressed. And even the disciples, they want to anoint Jesus as king in this very moment. But you know what Jesus does? He sends the people away. As he sends them away, he then tells his disciples, you need to go get on the boat. And it almost seems as if they are reluctant to get on the boat. The reason, they want to make Jesus their king. Actually, if you read it from the King James Version, it says that he made them get on the boat. And Jesus didn't get on with them. Actually, Jesus goes off to pray. It would be that night that a storm would arise and Jesus would come walking on the water. And of course, it would be an incredible occasion. But I want you to know there were actually two storms that took place there. In the minds of those men and women and children who gathered, there was a storm in their hearts. They wanted so much to see something happen. They wanted so much for change. They wanted so much for God to come in and to move in a mighty way and to set up his kingdom in that very moment. There was a storm that was raging in their hearts. Later that night, a literal storm would raise and the people would, the people, I say the disciples, they would fear and another storm would rise up. I want you to know that in the midst of whatever storms you face, God is still faithful. Later that night, they would declare, actually in John, uh, actually in uh, Matthew chapter 14, they would declare, truly you are the Son of God. As he would calm storms, as he would walk on water, they would recognize that this storm that was raging in them He was truly who he claimed to be. and He was there to change the world. Do you know that you are here to change the world as well? Do you ever get to that point where you look at the world around you and you see the brokenness and a storm begins to well up in you and you want so much to change what's happening? It breaks your heart to see people who are hurting and people who are going through horrible things. And you want so much to be God's instrument to bring change. You can You know those same disciples who had that storm that raged in their souls, in their hearts, that they would be the ones that would turn the world upside down when they became those who brought the good news of Christ to others. You have been called and invited to do the exact same thing, to bring the good news of Christ. Let me tell you this, some of you will do it as preachers and evangelists and teachers who will go out and simply share with, there are some people they could share with a tree and it would listen to them. There are others that don't want to talk to anybody and I get that 100%, but every one of us is called to go and to tell. I'm going to tell you, every one of us is also called to send. To be those who give generously. Because although our roles may change at different times, we're all called to the same thing. We have a God who has come to change our world. To take the storms and in the midst of those storms offer us healing and peace and forgiveness and redemption. It's the world we live in. I'm going to tell you we all can do something. We all can do a lot. 
if we will simply obey what Christ has called us to do. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, I know that we've looked at a lot of scripture passages today. In the midst of all of them, they point us to you. And they point us to the hope that you alone can bring, not only to us as individuals, but to the world in which we live. Lord, you have called us to bring this hope to them. And I pray that you would simply help us to obediently respond to your call. Earlier, we looked at images of children. Lord, there are other images that come to our minds of people who need you and need your touch. Right now, even while we are still in these pews and in this place, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and already begin to minister to those individuals. Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring them into a right relationship with you. Lord, if that means us going to them, I pray that you would give us wisdom and boldness. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us and that you would speak even through us. Lord, I pray that each individual in this room would be used by you to bring hope to a broken world. Lord, I pray that you would send us. But I also pray that you would help us to send others. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a heart of generosity that simply says, Lord, I will give all of me, whether it's my time or my financial resources, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you would help us to give all of ourselves to you. Lord, help us not to become blinded by our circumstances and situations. We know that there are storms that will take place in our lives. But we also know that we have a God who will walk with us. He will calm the storm and he will be the one who is faithful through the end. Use those storms to perhaps bring us closer to you that we might depend on you more. Lord, use the generosity of your people to change this world. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen. I did not do an altar call this morning for this, but and actually there's a part of me that thought we could take the offering up after the service. That would be a good time after a message like this. But what I want you to do today is I genuinely ask you to specifically ask God to challenge your heart. Two ways. One, is there someone you need to share your faith with this week? If the answer is yes, then do it. Ask God for guidance. Ask him for wisdom and boldness, and I will guarantee you he will give it. Because it's not his will that they perish either. He wants them all to come to repentance. The other way is I want you to sincerely ask yourself, God, am I as generous as you called me to be? If you are, awesome. If you're not, you ought to be. Respond with obedience. Thank you so much for being a part of this service this morning. Go in peace.